Staying in contact. I'm London Mitchell. Bootlegging. Today, we begin the first of a two-part look at how prevalent bootlegging was in our area, Northwest Ohio, during Prohibition. My guest is local teacher and author, Joseph Boggs. His book, Prohibition's Proving Ground, takes an in-depth look at how some controversial policing and cars kept the smuggling ongoing, especially along the Toledo-Detroit-Windsor corridor. I've read a lot about the Prohibition days in the Toledo area. Names continue to pop up in the accounts. Licavoli, Kennedy, all the gangs. But you, Joe Boggs, are linking the growth of rum running in our area to the automobile. How did that come about? Great question. So I'm a teacher here at Pennacurst Center in Perrysburg, and very often my students kind of compel me to think about history from the lens of industry. And I do have a lot of uh, future auto mechanics that sit in my courses. So when Penna asked me to uh, teach college level history here at Penna, I was thinking, you know, what's a topic that fascinates me? So prohibition naturally. But then, you know, thinking about my students, how would they approach it? And I thought about the automotive industry. And it felt so natural when I started doing the research. I found, you know, piles and piles of sources about this topic. But um, it just seemed yeah, unfathomable to me that no one had done this history yet because we're obviously a region known for its automotive culture. And the two kind of came up at the same time together in the 1910s and 20s. So I thought it'd just be a fascinating topic. And it ended up being true. Yeah, it it sure caught my interest. This this whole idea of the uh, Toledo, Detroit, Windsor corridor uh, that you talk about for the rum runners, but I would imagine you would also have to include Monroe in that corridor. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I am actually a native of Monroe, and uh, one thing I wanted to show in this book is that this region due to its automobile culture, due to the prohibition culture that came about during this time period, was thoroughly connected. And it did not, uh, you know, pass over a small town or a medium-sized county seat. So Monroe is certainly a seminal part of this book. And it's really kind of a crossroads town between Monroe and Toledo during this time. And uh, the criminal activity that existed in Monroe uh, back during the prohibition years is really uh, unbelievable from my standpoint, because obviously we're dealing with the opioid crisis, but nothing like violent crime. Uh, and the number of uh, bodies that show up in Monroe County during this time period because of our, our interesting um, geographic kind of midpoint between these two large cities makes it essentially a dumping ground during the Prohibition years. What is it about this area that uh, made it so much a part of rum running or ignoring the uh, the prohibition i would say the the major thing we have to think about is geographic location so throughout most of the national prohibition years canada was a source of legal alcohol uh, their own prohibition law allowed them to export alcohol legally out of the country so therefore you know if you're familiar with the geography Canada, in some places along the Detroit River, is, is only less than a mile 
uh, you know, away. And obviously this culture also, um, the, the region had a culture of fishing too. And uh, so we knew how to transport things over the water quite well. So we were, we were going to have this issue throughout the prohibition years with that legal access to alcohol so close to us and realizing very quickly that these rum runners could profit from it tremendously. The law enforcement was always one step behind as well. Um, they were always kind of on a reactive kind of mindset. They weren't proactive when it came to enforcing law. And in fact, many of the law enforcement themselves were in on it. There are plenty of uh, sources I can point to that show that major police figures were in on some of the profits that were being uh, developed and incurred from this time period. When you talk about the time period, a lot of people believe this whole uh, rum running, if you want to call it that, uh, started with the beginning of Prohibition. But your book takes us back into... Uh, the mid 1910s, around 1915, moving forward. Yes. You know, the reason why I wanted to start there is because really uh, that's the roots of prohibition. And it's also the starting point in regards to the automobile boom taking off in our region. Uh, you know, people like John Willie's here in Toledo. You have Henry Ford, obviously, in the Detroit area. Gordon McGregor over in, in, uh, uh, in uh, Canada. Their factories are starting to really take off. But one thing we don't think about is that a lot of these big time automobile tycoons who were in the area, they wanted their workers to be sober on the job. They were playing on efficiency for producing uh, cars at record rates. So they were often some of the biggest proponents of prohibition. The prohibition movement actually begun, begins in the 1870s, but doesn't gain, gain traction until the 1910s. And I would argue, as I do in the book, that it's these automobile tycoons who are really bringing prohibition to the forefront and makes it an attractive um, legal reality because they have, they have a lot of money and they have a lot of clout in society and they employ uh, hundreds of thousands of people throughout the region bringing jobs to the Toledo Detroit Windsor Corridor. We're chatting with Joe Boggs, author of Prohibition's Proving Ground, in which, Joe, you're arguing that the big auto manufacturers, such as Willys and Ford, were supporting Prohibition. Once again, they want their workers to be sober on the job. If they have drunk workers showing up on the factory line and getting injured, or maybe even taking days off at a time because they're reporting that they're sick, but in reality, they're, they're at the bar and getting drunk. Um, they just want workers who they can depend upon so they can make these profits um, to, you know, to expand their businesses. So they are big proponents. Actually, John Willys, he was so upset with the saloons in, um, you know, distilleries outside the factory gates here in Toledo that he had one point planned on having the largest restaurant in the Willys Overland factory here in Toledo. And that, of course, is to keep the workers under his watchful eyes, so to speak. Correct. Uh, and away from the saloons, away from the distilleries, even because it, it was common actually for factory workers during their breaks to walk outside the factory gates and go to the saloon. That was a very common uh, part of the day. And sometimes you wouldn't see those workers come back because they would get drunk. What is it 
that that you found the most fascinating when you did your research? Most fascinating. Oh man, uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, things I can point to. Uh, a lot of unique stories. One from Monroe that I can uh, share with you that's on the top of my mind right now. There was police officers patrolling a road in the east end of Monroe, and they noticed a huge cube truck cube truck coming out of a dead end street. And they're like, why is this huge cube truck truck going coming out of this dead end street? So they try to pull it over. And sure enough, the driver ditches the vehicle, you know, hundreds of gallons in the back of this cube truck. They go back into this dead end road. What is going on here? They start snooping around. There was a fake three-story house built around a three-story still. <laughs> Yeah, so they they found out about this huge production facility in the East End of Monroe, a place where they never thought, and they reassembled it at the state police post to demonstrate they were enforcing the law. But it just goes to show the reactive nature of policing at this time. Um, They were almost always a step behind the rum runners, the moonshiners. And in fact, when the Prohibition era begins in our region, Many of the police officers are on horseback, having to compete with rum runners who are in some of the uh, fastest cars on the roadways. Because, once again, a lot of these rum runners, actually, they have experience with cars. They know how to um, modify them to their advantages. Uh, Another uh, fun thing to share with you regarding the automotive culture that exists in our region, there are mechanics who specialize in cutting the car doors off of Model T's. And those were specifically cars that were meant for going across the ice in the winter. Um, and the reason why they would cut these car doors off is because the drivers would be would want to be able to ditch their vehicles if they felt that their vehicle was going through the ice. Oh, you know this is this is interesting because I think uh, most of the time when we think of uh, rum running or these fast custom-made cars we think of the uh maybe the uh the smoky mountains or tennessee <laughs> kentucky and uh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah movies like thunder road mm-hmm. i don't think we think of the toledo detroit windsor corridor yes yeah, so th- what you're referring to uh there's a great book called another great book called uh driving with the devil uh, it's about the rise of uh, rum running, uh, moonshining culture, and NASCAR in the South. But uh, my book is almost the uh, prequel to that book because, in reality, the first autom- automobile using rum runners were in our region. Uh, we kind of get a head start the rest of the country because uh, a lot of people don't realize that Michigan goes dry before the rest of the country as a state. Therefore, a lot of rum runners who knew how to use cars at this time in 1918, 1919 were driving down to Toledo, legally purchasing alcohol because Ohio was still wet and driving it back across the quarter. And they were trying to basically outrun the police. Sometimes who were on horseback, sometimes who were able to get into the cars. Uh, but, you know, the Southern uh, uh, perspective of rum running and using cars to their advantage comes in the really the mid to late 20s, uh, in our region in Salido, Detroit, Windsor, 
we're starting in the 1910s engaging in this kind of rum running behavior using cars to our advantage. The book is Prohibition's Proving Ground, published by the University of Toledo Press and the winner of a Local History Publication Award from BGSU. Just a fascinating read. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it, was, it was a book that um, just kind of naturally flowed. I worked on it a day at a time. <laughs> As a teacher, I don't have a, a ton of time to sit down and write, but I worked on one page a day. And like I said, it was it was unbelievable the number of sources I came upon, especially the newspapers, indicating that there had been this true intersection between our automobile culture and the rum running culture. And uh, these gangsters really utilized cars as probably the most important tool alongside, I would say, the Tommy gun to engage in their behavior during those years. They're very profitable uh, behaviors. Joe Boggs author of Prohibition's Proving Ground, and how he points out that rum running during Prohibition really had its start here in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan. We are going to continue our discussion with Joe in our next installment. Meantime, please stay in touch with me through my website, londonmitchell.news. And please join us again next week, staying in contact.